Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. G'day and welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Friday, the 7th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you could join us. Let's get to our guests for today's show. Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Guys, a warm welcome to you, Luke. Uh, what a week it's been at volatility. Have you, have you been trading that volatility? Uh, I've stepped in a, a little bit here and there, um, mostly just buying bits and pieces of some small micro caps. Um, to be honest, I, I sort of expected more opportunities in that micro cap space. Um, you know, normally when you get this volatility, it can be exacerbated down the small end just as a with a lack of liquidity. But uh, weren't too many. But but yeah, picked up a nibble at a couple of things. Um, you know, on the, on the buy side. Uh, but but yeah, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, yeah. You know, index moves of more than one one and a half percent, nearly two percent the other day. It's um, you know, it's a sign that uh, you know, there's a few jitters out there for for a few different reasons, obviously. But um, yeah, look like I, I focus on the fundamentals, stock by stock. But um, definitely volatility can be your friend um, if you can time some entries right. Yeah, Claude, what about you? Been seeing some buying opportunities. Uh, not really, not yet. Uh, I have uh, got a few hopeful limit orders in, as I usually do. Uh, but no, I haven't found anything that I buy. The, yesterday was just like one really big down day, but it almost just wiped out some of the low volume gains that we saw at the end of last year. So yeah, I'm just taking it in my stride. I still have a fairly uh, bearish, cautious view of the kind of investments that I usually make, which is uh, basically, healthcare and, and tech is where I focus, and the tech side of things is generally high valuations at the moment still, even after big drawdowns. So I think there's probably more downside there. So for me at the moment, I still have a fair bit of cash on the sideline that I might start putting to work later yeah. in the year. All right, okay. Certainly tech being battered and bruised at this point. All right, let's let's uh, let's begin with our stock of the day. It is the building materials company, James Hardy. Now, the company's board has ousted Chief Executive Jack Trong after an inquiry found he'd acted inappropriately. The company, though, has emphasised while the style was inconsistent with its global conduct code, that behaviour was not discriminatory. Harold Wines has been appointed as interim chief executive. Nonetheless, turbulence at the top worries investors. Its shares were sold off heavily at the open. They've since recovered, now off around 4%. Uh, Claude, uh, was there perhaps a chance, if you had to get in quick though, to buy the dip though, but uh, how are you looking at this stock in general? Uh, I guess, like, generally speaking, today's news, I consider, like, a mild positive. I think one of the problems that companies often have is that they'll have, I guess, um, you know, 360 review uh, style processes where every employee, like, answers survey questions about how they're finding their work and all that kind of thing. And I think one of the problems sometimes organizations have is that if there's a problem at the very top, then they don't have a mechanism to actually 
implement that or force change. And I guess what James Hardy, it would appear, have shown with today's announcement is that, you know, they will, that like that there's no one's above the rules. No, everybody has to play nice. And if, if the CEO is the person that, uh, you know, they judge based on feedback from other employees is actually the one that's making people unhappy, then, then the CEO will go. And that's probably what you want to see in this sort of like large company kind of setup. And so I wouldn't see it as too much of a negative at all. Having said that, just sort of generally speaking, um, I don't, I'm not, I don't find James Hardy a particularly attractive option. It's a large cap sort of dividend paying company that, um, you know, doesn't have heaps of organic growth and is a cyclical business. So that doesn't really suit what I'm looking for because I'm looking for stuff that has like long-term secular tailwinds. Uh, so that time is very much on my side and, um, the reason I don't like more cyclical businesses is because if you have a recession and you're, you personally might be seeing heaps of opportunities, well, the stock that is a cyclical business is going to be right down at its lows in that recession when there are so many opportunities. So they go down with, with the rest of everything. So if I do want to buy something cyclical, I want it to be a completely uncorrelated cycle, uh, which obviously buildings very correlated with the overall yeah. economy. Yeah, very much so. So, but can I, would it be a hold though? I guess if yeah. not, not for you, but uh, for others that are holding it. Yeah, for the father-in-law kind of investor yeah. who's got it uh, as a long-term kind of blue chip that gives them a bit of exposure in a diversified portfolio. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd call it a hold. Okay, Luke, how are you feeling about James Hardy? Uh, that's an interesting, um, you know, take there from Claude, and, and I think he's got a very good point because. Um, James Hardy's performed really well. I mean, not just from an operational point of view, but also from a, a share market point of view over the last you know few years um, since uh, the CEO's been in place. So it takes you know it's a big decision by the board to to, to do something like this. And they you know they've pointed out there was no um, illegalities to what he's done. He obviously just manages with a style that um, uh, you know is aggressive, I suppose, and, and goes against the values that they're looking to put in. So. Um, it, it's it's a fair point, and to be I, I hadn't really considered that. So I, I actually agree with Claude that it does show some uh, good strength at a board level to be able to, to to move on from a CEO who has done quite well, um, particularly for shareholders. Which, as Claude said, I think there'd be a, a lot of boards around there who, who probably wouldn't make that decision, even if um, you know some allegations had been brought to them. So um, interesting point of view, but I agree with that. Um, interesting. It also comes with an upgrade to their guidance and, and not a, a small one either. Um, you know, went from 580 to, to 600 million range up to 605 to 625, a good solid upgrade to their, to their, um, to their guidance. And so that move today goes to show that, you know, the market is sort of, was either pricing in that sort of result anyway, or, or they take the departure of the CEO uh to, to mean more i suppose than the upgrade um look it, my, my conclusion i agree with claude it's not my sort of business it trades on about 30 times uh, 38 times earnings at the, at the top end of that range that's expensive for a cyclical business and arguably you're on peak earnings as well coming out of COVID. there may be more legs to the cycle but um it's hard to step in and pay 38 times earnings where we are for a business like james hardy i'll probably hold it if you're in there um but i, I probably couldn't step in and buy it today um, throw in some disruption at the executive level, obviously now, um, you know, and that, that just sort of clouds that yep. equation a little bit further. So hold, um, but but I, I wouldn't be buying. Okay, thanks, Luke. Let's uh, now get to the stocks that you've picked. Uh, the first one is Whisper, uh, software as a service uh, business model, develops sort of centralised platforms where it, um, its customers can create 
uh, templates for email, web, social media communications and the like. Now, Ben asks, uh, analysts have price targets in excess of $4 and the stock has seen a rebound in its price, but um, it did come off significantly. Is this an opportunity at current prices? He asks. Luke? Um, I had Whisper come up uh, probably a few months ago now and and said buy. Uh, The share price was probably around where it is now in that sort of low $2 range. Um, since then, though, like the business has done well. Um, you know, they've come out with a, a nice contract win from uh, Singtel for about $1.3 million and then some ongoing usage. Um, directors have been buying strongly on market after that announcement. So, um, you know, from, from my point of view, I was happy to, to buy it back then. I'll continue to, to, to buy it today. Um, you know, one thing I, I do note with the business, it, it looks cheap optically compared to some of those SaaS peers, but the thing you have to note is it's not as high a quality business business as some of its other SaaS peers, um, only because it has a, a much lower gross margin. So most SaaS businesses can operate at sort of a 85, even 90% gross margin, um, and you get a really good incremental margin on top of that. Whisper doesn't quite get that because they incur a lot of the fees to actually, um, particularly when they send text messages, um, a, a lot of fees around that. Um, so, sorry, a lot of costs around that. So you see they have a lower gross margin, but I think that's reflective in the price you're paying. It's about three times ARR um, of what they're looking to do this year, I must admit. So you've got some execution risk in there, but they've been good hitting their targets so far and actually upgraded um, their FY21. Um, Singtel, the thing I did notice in that announcement uh, towards the back of it is it gives Singtel the option to be a reseller. Now, obviously, as a telco, reselling a, a software like Whisper, which is a communications-based software, that's interesting, um, and, and wait and see what comes of that. Obviously, uh, management sort of couldn't quantify anything in this announcement, but um, it does open up some potentially expansion into, into Asia for them. Um, I think the bare case to the business is they may be over-earning through COVID. So these guys have been a beneficiary, not just of governments using the Whisper platform to get communication out to people, but enterprises as well. So, you know, if enterprises have an employee test positive, they're able to send out communication to other employees in the office about that and and provide information. So um, just wondering whether they may be over-earning a bit through COVID. Nonetheless, I actually like this business on a a sort of medium to long-term view. They've got some execution risk trying to move over to the US. but you know the early signs are positive, and, and just keep an eye on that as they as they continually update the market to see how that expansion is tracking. But otherwise, I'd say a buy on Whisper. A buy, all right. I should note it is in the portfolio at the moment. So Claude, it all comes down to you. Okay. <laughs> oh no! I wish you hadn't told me that now. <laughs> um, yeah. So Whisper is an interesting one. I agree with uh, much of what Luke just said. And I think it's important to note uh, what he said about the gross margins being lower. I think it's like 60-something percent gross margin, which is, means that if you're just looking at that ARR figure that they put out and comparing it to, say, like zeros multiple or something like that, you are not comparing um, like for like. You're comparing a high-quality, high-margin business with a lower-quality, lower-margin business. On top of that, historically, the actual um, gross profit growth hasn't been that great for Whisper. So, like, the last three halves were $13.1 million um, just under 14 million and then 14.6 million. So they're not adding a heap of gross profit each half, which is another reason that it kind of deserves a low multiple. And if you actually used its gross profit as a sort of proxy for revenue, or if, if you adjust it there, its, mar- it's, its multiple looks reasonably high and would tend to, I guess, to me, imply um, 
that growth will accelerate. And that is indeed what they're guiding for, right? They're guiding for basically saying, well, we're spending a whole bunch of money to grow the business, especially in the USA. And we want to, um, you know, spend heaps of money. They raised a lot of capital at $3.75, right? And this is key. And then they're spending that to try and, you know, win new customers. And so right now, I think in their last quarterly, they burnt through almost $5 million in cash. And I think they've got about $40 million in cash. So you could say that at the current burn, they've probably got about two years of, of runway before they need to sort of show that they can be profitable or raise more money. Now, um, you know, on the one hand, I think if I look at the numbers and I look at the prospects of this business, you know, the fact is that they make it easier for organizations to manage the kind of SMS communications that we've seen so much of in the in the COVID times. And every time you order something from um, a, a company and then you get a, a text message to say, oh, your delivery is coming today and all that sort of that, that automated stuff, that could be um, Whisper or something like that. You know, Telstra and, um, you know, various utilities I know have sent me text messages when they're coming to check my water or whatever. So I think that, you know, they have got a long-term tail in there, which I also look for, which is why I have previously owned it. But basically, you know, the problem from, from my perspective is that these guys are just burning so much cash. And I'm not entirely sure that the moat around their software product is actually high enough to justify this huge loss-making expenditure. Because the idea is you lose money now and then you reap the rewards later. And that definitely works when you have super high quality, um, high margin software businesses. But when you have something that's lower margin uh, and also it's partly usage based, right? So it may have got a bit of a boost out of COVID. It's just not such a sure bet. So that's why mm. for me, even though I really feel bad about taking it out of the portfolio, because I'm sure that this idea hasn't had time to play out. But for me, I'd call it more of a hold. Like I, I just couldn't see myself um, buying shares at this point, especially at this point, um, I guess, in the broad economic cycle. I think, as I mentioned before, you know, these kind of growthy stocks that are losing money, yeah. they are ones that are most likely to be hurt by increasing interest rates. So if anything, in my portfolio, I'm probably trying to skew it a little bit more to the profitable ones, which I think also Luke is as well. All right. Don't feel too bad about that. If it's a hold, it's staying in the portfolio uh, because you're not getting rid of it. So rest assured. All right, that is Whisper. Let's move on to our second one, Accent Group. Uh, George, you wanted to know about this. It is the footwear-focused retailer, uh, including names such as Athletes Foot, Platypus, Star Runner, Glue, Merrill, and the like. Um, and Bill, Bill Potter has a buy rating of $3.05 on the stock at the moment. Claude, how are you looking at this one? Yeah, so Accent Group's been, it's an interesting uh, retailer. You know, their core thing was uh, like athlete's foot. I've eventually been following this company since it was called RCG Group and it was, you know, mostly athlete's foot compared to now they have a whole bunch of other brands, some of which I'm familiar with, some of which I've never heard of. Um, you know, they have a, a shoe stop, they've, uh, a shoe shop they're starting that's aimed just at kids. I think that's called The Tribe. They've basically, um, you know, their their modus operandi is to a roll out stores to get growth um b to try and get new brands that they can distribute and sell through their stores and then c they also i think buy back franchise stores as well to try and increase the company profits and you know they've done a fairly good job over the years but i have to say just at this particular juncture i'm not feeling particularly bullish and there's a couple of reasons for that 
I wouldn't say these are red flags, but these are just little warning signs that make me um, not feel confident about um, this stock at the moment. Uh, so for starters, if you look at their free cash flow year on year, um, in, in, taking into account lease payments in that in calculating that free cash flow, it actually went down. So the cash isn't there to, to back up the uh, profit growth. And on top of that, um, you had in the text of the actual, a big question when I'm looking at the 21 results for a retailer is I'm looking at, you know, what is the impact of JobKeeper and COVID and everything has had on it. Now, first of all, you know, they've done amazingly well with online sales, full credit to them, and that probably allowed them to keep making money during lockdowns, right? But on top of that, they benefited massively from JobKeeper. And it's not entirely sure to me, clear to me exactly how much they got from it because they didn't break it out in their accounts. They just like reduced it from employee expenses. In the actual annual report, they said it was 24.5 million um, for the period July to September 2020. But then when they did that sort of official JobKeeper payments notification um, release that is required under the Corporations Act that all the companies have done, it said 31.2 million. So I don't know exactly what it is, but it's easily, clearly a substantial amount of their profit before tax of about 125 million has been assisted by JobKeeper. Not only that, we all know JobKeeper put a whole bunch of money in people's pockets. So they were staying home and they were still getting paid. Well, right now what we're seeing is that a lot of hospitality workers and a lot of other people are staying home and they're not getting paid, right? Mm. Because they're just, they're, their shop is closing um, because they can't get enough staff or people aren't coming or people are canceling their bookings or whatever it is. So to me, I think there's going to be a lot less money sloshing around um, for buying the kind of, you know, Aperol. They're also in, you know, um, active wear they're moving into and, and that kind of stuff. But it's sort of more sporty um, retail stuff. And I just think there'll be like less demand for that in the coming year. So because of those reasons, um, even though this is like a decent quality retailer, I think it's trading on about 16 times earnings. To me, for a retailer in this environment, I think that there are other ones... Um, that are cheaper than that and that I'd be more yep. inclined to buy. But also right now, I'm just not huge on retail. All right. Would you hold it? Because I'm putting you on the spot again because it is in the portfolio. No, I, would, I would sell it. I would, it, I would oh, sell okay. this one. I'd, I'd, I'd buy something else like maybe a Dares or if I wanted a retailer. I don't own a Dares. Yeah. I, I would sell this. It doesn't look that cheap to me. I, okay. Luke, do you agree? I do. And, um, you know, it was good to see Claude sort of do that work into the JobKeeper because I, I saw something similar. I didn't actually go to the official announcement and see um, what the what the official number was. But I, I noticed the same thing he did, which, which they were a little bit vague on exactly how much they received. So it's good to see someone um, to, to, to do that. Look, it's it's a good business. I can't argue with that. Extremely well run. Brett Blundy's on the board. You know, he's a um, king of Australian retail. Um, did extremely well through COVID. I won't go into that again. Claude outlined it perfectly as to the reasons why. Um, he highlighted something that I noticed as well, which is that the, the cash result was not as strong as the reported profit result. And a lot of that working capital got caught up in inventory. Now, for a retailer, that can be a problem because your inventory can age very quickly with styles and fashion. They had a note in their presentation saying that they don't believe that's happened, that they think their inventory hasn't aged and you know, it can unwind as um, well, most likely as we came into Christmas just now. But it's, it's, it's a big risk. I mean, if that didn't happen, you're left with excess inventory, you're forced to discount or even write it off as obsolete. So um, I, I did notice that same thing that Claude highlighted as well. Mm. Um, moving to the positives, look, I will say 
it, it's a well-run business. They're looking to grow that digital online business. They're bringing out virtual stores, which I watched a YouTube video. It looks pretty cool. I don't know if I'd ever use it myself, but it's a, it's a store. And I think they've got two in Sydney and Melbourne and you log on and, and someone walks around with an iPhone and, you know, shows you around, a, shows you around the store down there, but you're just at your computer at home. Interesting. You know, how much does it add? Wait and see. But, you know, it's clear that this is a management team that's willing to test things, willing to try things to, to find growth. Um, looking to move into their own brands, that that style runner that you highlighted, Andrew, is the main one there. And, and they think there's some real traction there, looking to go from 14 stores to 40 over the course of this year. So wait and see whether they can do that. Yep. Um, I agree with Claudio. I think it's a sell, and it's probably more of a short-term sell than a long-term one. I don't think it's a structurally broken business. I think it's a good business, good management team, some good brands there. But the short term, it's really noisy, and, and the AGM update highlighted that. They were talking about 40 mil um, EBIT lower than the same time last year, but they only did 125, strip out JobKeeper. You're talking about, you know, FY22 will look ugly for this business. So um, I, I think it's a, a short-term sell on that valuation. Right now, the market's looking through it. I think okay. when the numbers come out, not sure whether that will, will continue to happen. So yep. sell, keep it on the watch list and come back to it if you, if you want to later on. All right, and that means it drops out of the portfolio as a result. All right, let's move to the third one. This is Symbio Holdings. I should note that I think, Claude, you were saying you do have a small holding of this. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but uh, we have, uh, this is brought to us by Bavesh. He wants to see what Luke thinks about it specifically. Uh, he says he's been following it since, uh, well, for five years. Uh, it's done well last three years, he says. Um, through uh, Asia expansion, revenue decreasing, though, that he notes, uh, but the gross margin and cash flow is increasing. So, Luke, what, what are your thoughts? Yes, yeah, the old MyNet phone, then MNF, and now Symbio. Um, I like this business. Um, I actually um, gave it out sort of mid last year as my you know stock to watch in the back half of 2021. Um, and 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 Bavesh sort of points out why it's because they'd spun off their what they call their direct business, which is their essentially their telco business, and focused on the the higher growth, higher margin um, enterprise and and, and SaaS style businesses that they've got. And you could just see that this was a business that had sort of gone nowhere for a few years. But um, when you when you focused on the, the better segments within that business, it, it, it could do well. And, and you saw that re-rate from sort of $5 up to, I think it got, um, you know, close to six fifty or something like that. Um, it's now pulled back, oh, sorry, yeah, about $7. It's since pulled back to about six fifty. Um, I must admit, Bavesh, I hadn't looked at it now for a few months. And, and coming back, their AGM update was probably weaker than what I expected. Now, Management have called out $11 million of, of what they've termed strategic investments, which I have no doubt are genuine. They're looking to move this business into Asia um, and, and, and do that organically and through M&A. So they will incur some costs to do it. Um, I was surprised the market originally held it up back when it did, back in October, November, when that AGM came out. It's now being caught up in a bit of the, the market sell-off. Um, look, I think it's a a really good business, good management team. You've got um, Renee Sugo and, and Andy Fung there, the, the two founders still in the business, still major shareholders. Fantastic balance sheet. I think the, the, the long-term um, addressable market there for them, particularly in that Asia-Pacific region, is strong. Um, Short-term, I think you're still going through this investment period. I would hold it if, if you're in there. Um, I, I probably wouldn't step in and buy it. And maybe a part of that goes back to what Claude was saying before, where these are the types of businesses that are actually struggling a little bit in this environment right now. It's yeah. not loss-making, don't get me wrong, but it's not, you know, it's not giving you the, the, the growth that you need to justify the, the, the price that the, the market's paying right now. So I would, I would just hold it, Bavesh, if you're in there. I think it's, it's, it's high quality enough to do that, but I probably couldn't step in and, and, and buy it. All right. Okay. Um, so Claude, as mentioned, you actually have uh, somewhat of a holding in there at the moment. 
Yeah, so this one used to be called My Net Phone originally when I bought, when I first bought it very many years ago, and then it was called MNF Group, and now it's called Symbio, which is uh, a business the name of the business that it, the wholesale business that it's had for very many years, and it is uh, an acquisitive company. It's done divesting uh, of different businesses and in over the years, but also in particular. Uh, most recently, it has ditched its sort of direct-to-consumer stuff, the original MyNet my phone kind of businesses and sold all of that. And now it's more focused on providing uh, wholesale, like telecommunications tech um, connectivity to other companies. So, for example, you know, if on Skype, you want to use Skype to call a mobile phone, Skype needs to connect into the telecommunications network and needs to have the ability to call a number. And MNF, uh, sorry, Symbio, uh, provides that kind of connectivity. Also, same as the like uh, the communication platforms um, that we start using more and more every day, whether it be Teams or Slack or Zoom or whatever it is. All of this stuff to have like number uh, to phone number connectivity needs somebody like uh, Symbio, and that, and that's what it does. It also has like international number porting, international number roaming, all of these kind of services, and it also um, it has a sort of telecommunication service some as well. So it's not just for companies that have you know, telecommunications as part of their offering. It's also just, you know, for every, for a little telecommunications company, like I remember at one stage it might still exist, there was Jim's Mowing Telecommunications. They would be basically, you know, selling an out-of-the-box product from MNF Group. And that's a very powerful model because somebody else uses their capital to, like, market and win customers and all that kind of stuff. But um, Symbio wins no matter what. Um, now, having said that, like, why do I own shares, but I only own a really small amount of shares. This is the last time I think I was buying this, I think was in 2020. And I, when you can see in that, when it really dropped massively in the pandemic, right? And it was one of the few I had the guts to buy because um, I've followed this management team for a long time. I really admire the CEO. I think he'll do the right thing. They're very aligned. Um, and I'm 100% sure that they're doing their best to make a better business and to continue to grow it. And um, on top of that, it's like a beneficiary from the more we go online. So it was crazy that it should have sold off because it, benef it benefits as we use more Teams and Zoom and Slack and all that kind of thing. So yeah. I really love the long-term tailwind. I, these are a management team that I've followed for years. I really would back them. The only thing I'm looking for is the right price. And I don't have the right price. In fact, like I feel like I've sort of basically sold my, my shares down to the point where I had such a small holding that I was like... Well, I'm not sh selling the, the rest ones because this is one of my longest term holdings and I can't not be a holder of this company. And also because I want to make sure I notice if it does ever sell off it hard like it did in 2020. And I'll be the, you know, I'll definitely put my hat up to buy when there's panic on the streets. This is one of my companies that I would buy because it's a high quality, small growing company that's run by aligned, honest, competent people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what else you want. You just want that price. And right now it's trading on, um, you know, even if we favorably use their preferred metric of um, NPAT less amortization, um, it's still on 28 times. But I don't use that. I use profit. It's on over over 40 times profit, a dividend yield of, I think, less than 1.2%. It's quite expensive. Now, will it justify this price? I actually think probably one day it will through its expansion into Asia if it succeeds there. Yep. And that's been a, quite a few years in the making. But for me, it's just a hold. It's just too expensive right now to buy. Okay. All right, that is Symbio Holdings. All right, we better get a move on. We've still got a couple to get through until we get to the halfway point. Uh, Kip McGrath Education. Uh, Justin wanted to know about this. Claude, I know you do have a decent holding of this. It is a leading provider of 
tutoring services for K to 12 students, primarily in maths and English. What are your thoughts? Yes, yeah, sir. Well, I, we're definitely a little bit front loaded this episode with uh, some of the favorite <laughs> companies up, up in the first half. So, probably save some time in the second half. But basically, uh, look, Kit McGrath Education is another super long term small cap holding for me. I think I first bought this oh, back in 2013. I remember I once paid it like, un, like 20 cents or something for, for the shares. And what it is, is a, a tutoring. Uh, franchise company that is now similar to how we mentioned with Accent Group. It's buy, it does buy back now its franchises and have corporate stores as well. And so over the last few years, it has had a super bumpy ride because um, obviously uh, the pandemic forced this massive migration to online tutoring. Um, and what we saw with Kit McGrath is, you know, obviously their in-person lessons fell away, but their un online tutoring did take off because of the pandemic. And look, I spoke to the CEO not that long ago, and he thinks that it'll eventually in the longer term absent you know waves of covid it'll still stick at least 30 percent online now that is probably good um for kit mcgrath long term like as in that sift has actually probably improved the quality of their business because they already have the software now to do um online teachers in groups sort of face-to-face -face interactive uh well you know face-to-face -face via video interactive um attention and, you know, they're even working on more stuff like the ability to even combine online classes with um, in-person. And, um, you know, that has been going on in the background, but that hasn't really manifested in profit growth yet because it's been such a bumpy ride for their franchise in-person business. And on top of that, mm. they just so happened to start the process of um, taking building up the corporate centers and with the corporate centers, when they buy the corporate center, they have to, um, you know, replace the franchisee who was basically working in it. And the way that they're supposed to, you know, make sense here is that whereas one franchisee might be like managing one one center, you know, they can put a corporate manager in who manages sort of five centers and drives the growth of that. So there is an element of they need to have, say, like five centers that are, um, you know, ideally all within, you know, an hour's driving distance or whatever. So one person can manage all of those centers. And so that's really just, we're just getting to the point now where in the next year or two, we should start to see a profit boost from that process that they've gone through. But because okay. those profits haven't gone through, they haven't yet um, won from that. That's why the share price has been down. Mm. I still like it. I still hold it. Um, you know, I've paid around similar price what it is now for shares. And, you know, I would, I would actually say I'd call this one a buy. Okay. All right. Uh, Luke, we better make a, a abbreviated commentary, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's a buy from me too. Uh, full disclosure, uh, own it in Meriwether Capital and, and same as Claude, sort of been buying around these levels in the past. Um, Claude, Claude pretty much nailed it. I think the business has been tagged as a COVID loser um, because those profits have been a bit lumpy over the last couple of years. But if you look beneath the surface, it hasn't been at a top line level. They've actually, actually done a fantastic job of maintaining their revenues through that pivot to online, as Claude pointed out. Um, it's purely because the business has invested in itself. They've invested in some new software packages. Um, as Claude pointed out, you've had to invest in your um, executive team and your corporate capabilities. Uh, but if you look at the AGM update, they've sort of flagged that they, again, Claude pointed this out, they think that they've um, sort of scaled over those costs now, that they, they, they don't need to sort of put any more on top, and that revenue growth from here on, on, here on in should lead to margin expansion, which is exactly what we're looking for. Um, and, and, you know, the, the update at the AGM was as we come out of COVID now, although Omicron has thrown a, a bit of a spanner in the works, but hopefully as we come out, 
two years of disrupted learning should see more parents and schools and governments look to, to, to leverage private tutoring to make sure students have kept up with where they have to be and, and Kip McGrath stands to benefit. So it was my Ausbiz tip as part of the Christmas yep. um, Racker presentation and, and definitely stand by it. Still, You're sticking still, by um, it. Got to buy on this stock. Good one. Okay, so it goes into the portfolio with two buys on Kip McGrath Education. All right, to our fifth stock, uh, Aerometrics. Uh, Alex saying, I currently hold a small parcel of the stock in my portfolio. The company has close relationships with big players such as Google. Recently appointed Stephen Masters as chief executive. He wants to know what uh, you guys think of the company's position, particularly among the other players in 3D imaging, such as 3DP and Nearmap. Luke. Yeah, again, this is another one um, that we own with Meriwether Capital. Um, like Alex, it's it's small. And, and, and the reason why it presents, I think, an interesting sort of downside, upside potential. I think you've got a core um, sort of imagery business, similar to what Nearmap does, that's um, profitable in, in Australia. Um, but, but the upside with this business, again, Alex has highlighted, is with the 3D stuff they do. And the work I've done around that sort of you know, reading what customers say and other industry participants is this is a 70 odd, $65 million market cap business. Um, but I think they're actually world leading with their their, their capture of 3D data um, and, and how that then gets built into a range of different sources. And, and to be honest, this business, when they talk about their segments, they talk about imagery, um, LIDAR, which is um, radar capture technology and then 3D. They provide very conservative addressable markets for imagery and, and LIDAR. And then when they get to 3D, they're almost like the addressable markets undefined because it's such a new space. Um, industry and customers are just finding new ways to use 3D data um, as we go on. And, and you know, it's opening up the metaverse, digital twins um, being used for, for, for gov uh, government sources, defense, a lot of different use cases are popping up. So it's sort of, they're there early in the space. Will they actually carve out a good foothold? I'm not sure. That's why I've kept the position small for me, but I love mm -hmm. that sort of downside upside um, scenario. Um, Alex highlighted Stephen Masters who's come on as CEO. He's bringing enterprise experience. I had a quick chat to the chairman after that announcement. I found it interesting. His comments were um, they the board felt that the technical experience within Aerometrics was strong enough that they didn't need someone who brought um, you know imagery experience or 3D experience. They wanted someone who could bring enterprise you know business experience to the business to really take it to the next level. So I found that interesting. They think the business is ready now to to, to sort of take all the technical achievements they've made over the last few years and, and grow them and look yep. and do that in the US. So it's, it's a buy from me. Okay, good one. Claude. Um, yeah, so relative to the other, th to Pointera and Nearmap, I would probably say, you know, roughly that um, I like uh, Nearmap the best at current prices, uh, although I'm not a massive fan of the company. Uh, with Aerometrics, I do think that what Luke said is interesting and, and has merit, and I could see it performing well. However, I do have a more bearish take, and I guess two bearish points to bring up would be that uh, in the last year, the, there wasn't really much revenue growth, I think like mm, less than 5%. And also a large amount of their uh, like revenue comes from sort of photo contracting. So even though they have almost $21 million in revenue, I think they only have about 4.8 or 5 million in recurring revenue. So something like uh, Nearmap has a uh, like higher degree of recurring revenue than Aerometrics, which probably means that, you know, I guess it deserves a higher, higher revenue multiple. 
Now, what makes Aerometrics uh, interesting to me is that in 2020, it almost broke even and it did, you know, lose some money in 2021, which is investing for growth. But, you know, when you have a company at that break even level, it's sometimes interesting if it's going to go into profitability soon. Uh, but for me, that's what I'd be looking for before I really got interested in this stock. Right. Uh, it's just it's just not there yet. So okay. for me, it would be a hold at best. A hold at best. Yep. Okay. That is Aerometrics. All right. Let's sum up where we've been just uh, over our first five plus stock of the day, which was James Hardy. Uh, Claude saying not attractive. It is a cyclical business, uh, but he does have a hold on it. Uh, Luke saying full credit to the board for, for acting. Uh, they've dismissed the CEO, uh, but he's got a hold on it also. Our first stock picked by you, Whisper, uh, it is in the portfolio. Uh, it stays there because Luke says it has uh, done well. He likes it. looks cheap, but low gross margins. It's a buy on it. Uh, Claude has a hold on it, although he is concerned it has burnt through a lot of cash. Uh, Accent Group was in the portfolio. It goes out uh, because uh, Claude has a sell on it. Um, also concerns about just how much money has been propped up by JobKeeper. Luke saying it is well run, but has similar concerns there. So he's also got a sell on it. Symbio, um, the global communications and software provider. Uh, Luke's uh, got a hold on it. He likes the business, uh, particularly its SaaS business. Good balance sheet. Uh, Claude also has a hold on it. And Kip McGrath Education goes into the portfolio. Both have a buy on it. Long-term holding from Claude. Luke uh, saying um, it was a COVID loser, but has maintained its revenue, which is impressive. And finally, their Aerometrics. Uh, Luke uh, has a, a, a buy on it. Uh, he owns it, in fact, uh, already. And Claude, he prefers Nearmap. So he's got a hold on that stock. Uh, all right. So let's uh, continue there. And our sixth stock is Bike Exchange. Uh, this one coming to us from Penny. It is the global online cycling operator. Uh, recently announced an acquisition of uh, Kitsuma uh, for just under $5 million, which is a US-based logistics and ready-to-ride bike delivery company. Claude, what do you think of Bike Exchange? Uh, for, I, don't, I don't really like it, basically. I, um, you know, if you look at that pros prospectus for this one, um, for 20... Uh, 2018 to 2020, there was like basically no growth in revenue, and uh, in order to uh, you know bring about the the growth that you've sort of seen more recently, they've had to massively um, increase the amount of money they're spending. So, uh, yeah, like I just don't like a good business in my view should be able to eke out at least some growth, um, absent like massive drunken spending. And even when they weren't growing their revenue, they were still losing money. So not growing and losing money is a tough spot to be in. And I want to see that something has you know, really changed um, in that. They did an acquisition that, you know, looks like it makes sense in their offering and that they can like deliver bikes more easily. But again, it doesn't look, nothing looks super high quality about this business to me. Yeah. And so I would definitely wait until I see um, a combination of uh, moderating spending plus continued growth. Is that a sell, so sell perhaps then? Yep. Yeah, uh, it's too risky for me in this okay. environment. It's a money loser. I, I just won't touch it. All right, Luke. Um, it's a sell for me as well. And again, it, it, Claude's done his work. I, I noticed the same thing. You go back to the prospectus. This business was going nowhere until COVID. And, and, and you know, we spoke about with Accent Group, the, the big boom we had in retail and discretionary spending. Um, obviously, that translated to bikes as well because it was the first time these guys had returned to growth. Of course, they list on the back of that. So opportune IPO. Um, 
And Claude's pointed out that they have sort of reported growth since then, but it's come at, at the expense of some immense cash burning. Um, the other thing I noticed, I, I, I ran the, the website metrics because this is a you know online business. So you can jump onto um, similar web or SEMrush, these website analytics websites and type in bikeexchange.com. They've got some European websites as well. And the website data is not good. And, I, and what I found interesting was that if I went back to their um, last quarterly, uh, sorry, the quarterly before the last one, um, they had a template um, sort of uh, figures of the, of the business, sort of total transaction value, order value, things like that. And the last dot point they had in those template figures was, was website traffic. And if you went to the last quarterly that was released, website traffic was taken away. Um, you know, and to me, sometimes it's not about what is in a report, it's what isn't in a report. <laughs> so if you if you notice a business has been reporting something in the past and that disappears, mm, it's mm. a big red flag. And and when you look at the website data, the reason why they didn't report it is because it wasn't pretty. So um, big red flag for me. Claude's outlined yep. a few others. This one's a sell, burning cash. Um, I have no doubt they'll be raising capital again, probably at lower prices. All right, that is a double sell for Bike Exchange. Our uh, next stock is uh, Imagine Biosystems. Uh, this uh, company working on uh, developing a non-radioactive and safe diagnostic imaging technology to detect solid tumour cancers using magnetic nanoparticles. Are you following? Um, Morningstar, this is coming to us from Tabitha, uh, pointing out that Morningstar's rated this as undervalued. Uh, a small cap that she says her boyfriend introduced her to earlier this year, uh, both holds on the share because of what we support was the company is trying to achieve and hope to see positive results come out of its research and future trials. Luke, tell us more. It's hard for me to say much more, Andrew. This is, you know, there's a lot of businesses like this on the ASX, very early stage biotechs, and it's almost impossible for, for people like us to, to really offer value unless, you know, you're an expert in, in the field that these businesses operate in. Um, to me, when I read through Tabitha's um, entry, the, the last point probably stuck out to me more than anything because this is a, a very high risk investment. But if you understand that risk, but you're willing to support what the business is doing, then I, I sort of don't have a big problem saying hold, as long as you understand the risk. Um, and it's no doubt ex extremely high risk. So come back to the fundamentals for a second, 12 mil cash in the bank, burning two mil cash a quarter. There'll be another raise here, Tabitha. So, um, you know, that, that'll always overhang a stock. Um, I read, they put out an investor letter. I read that, I thought it was a nice touch. You know, it was, it was well written. It was two investors in plain language sort of outlined what the business has been doing, um, the new um, sites that they've, um, you know, got their solution into to run patient trials. So, you know, I, for me, it's not my sole business at all. Um, normally I would probably say sell, but if you understand the risk and that this is a business that, you know, there's, there's a substantial chance it's probably a zero because it's so mm. tough to bring these products to market. Yep. Um, but you're willing to support them what they're doing, then, then you know, I could, I could um, see a hold. Okay. All right. Yeah, Claude, I mean, yeah, it is, uh, it is a tricky sector to be in, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, it's difficult. And uh, Tabitha's note reminded, her and her boyfriend remind me of me 15 years ago, to be quite frank, uh, that when I started out investing, I like, invested with my heart, absolutely. I really looked for stuff. What these guys will do is if they succeed with their MagSense thing, is they will be able to help people detect some of the most aggressive kind of um, cancers quicker, right? Which we all know is, you know, immensely uh, important for helping those people survive. On top of that, um, you know, they say that their um, their process will be cheaper than, you know, the, the current alternatives as well, so that, that there should be a path to market there. 
um, perhaps everybody wins if, if, if they succeed, right? But, um, you know, if they don't succeed, the people that are going to lose are the shareholders. So I think it's really important that we understand that this, like Luke said, this really could be a zero. The first stock I ever bought went up 500%. I thought I was a genius. It eventually, years later, did go to zero. So keep that in mind. If you find yourself sitting on a 100% gain because you've bought it when it's sort of flat and there's some excitement, they get an approval or whatever it is, and the stock goes up a lot, maybe that's the time to think about taking some profits or taking your original amount out because, you know, it could still end up at zero if it can't yep. commercialize. Now, you could hold on to some because if it does commercialize, then it, it could be really great and you'd hate me forever if you sold because of me. But there's that. And the other thing I want to say is just on this Morningstar's recommendation, it's quite possible that Tabitha, like I uses Comsec, where they provide like a, a free um, Morningstar quantitative rating, which currently says undervalued for this stock. Just be extremely cautious about those ratings from Morningstar. Like I have worked in um, quantitative uh, sort of analysis quite a lot. I have a side project where I do that. And look, for this kind of company with no revenue, no earnings, no dividends, it's just basically, I don't know what the inputs to their quantitative model are, but it's yep. quite possibly just share price. Okay. So that quantitative recommendation may add no value. All right. I'm taking that as a light and perhaps then from, uh, from your point of view, if you are holding it. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough. Okay. All right. We better keep moving. We're running out of time. We want to get through uh, all of them. Our next one is Indoor Sky Australia Group, um, now known as XRG following its acquisition of uh, recent acquisition, in fact, of virtual reality production studio, does have two indoor skydiving businesses in Sydney. Uh, Claude, is this your sort of thing? Uh, absolutely not. I don't know if we really have a super long-term chart of this thing, but this thing's been trading around on the ASX for quite a few years now, and it's been like an absolute disaster. Uh, look, you know, the idea is they, you know, originally they had the indoor skydiving things. People pay, they get to float on the air for a bit. They make a profit margin. It's not exactly a great business. It's super capital expensive to, to roll out these things. And then with these um, virtual reality kind of things that they've now gone into, it's sort of a similar kind of model, right? They have to set up a thing. They have to be capital intensive there. They have to advertise people to uh, to get people in the door to come and do these entertainment things um, that are often, you know, just complete, like to me, the idea of investing in something that is like requires people to be like indoor in a room together, which may or may not be well ventilated. Like, it, like wow, you're like taking the bet that like COVID goes away, right? Is that is that the bet you want to make? Because like it, yeah, it's just crazy. No, like, no way would I buy shares in this stock. No okay. way. I think it's going to have a really tough year ahead and year after that as well. All right, that's a big avoid. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't get the uh, the chart up. But uh, Luke, uh, talk us through your thoughts. Yeah, Claude and I both have long memories in microcaps, and and this isn't a kind one if you do. Um, they tried to make this indoor skydive thing work for for years and just couldn't make it work, and diluted shareholders and. Um, you know, they've, they've now pivoted into this virtual reality. And, and as Claude said, part of that's the centers they've built and wait and see whether they can do something a bit better with that. I, I have the same doubts Claude does even beyond COVID. I, I just think that it's, it's difficult to run these things. Like as Claude said, you just got to have a constant foot traffic coming through them. And it's difficult to do that at all times. Um, having a quick look, I was a little bit more interested in getting into the virtual reality production and development. There's something there, but the business they bought was only for $600,000. So I sort of wonder how much actual sort of 
um, production and scale have they really bought for, for that amount of money. Um, moving into defense, look, it, it sounds interesting. There's a lot of buzzwords to it. There's a lot of metaverse mm. and things like that. Um, I, I'm with Claude. I, I say stay away. It's, it's a business that, for me, with someone who has a memory of, of this business and in the micro-cap space, um, I'd need to see some real runs on the board before I, I came to it. Okay, that's pretty much an avoid there as far as indoor skydive or XRG is concerned. Our next one is NAOS Emerging Opportunities Company uh, raising recently raised $35 million to invest in seven to 10 unlisted private, uh, unlisted businesses, uh, wants to find companies that are profitable, founder-led but not yet listed. Joe wanted to know, he's been looking at the fundamentals uh, he says it seems very attractive on face value, low PE ratio, commitment to ESG, a long history of fully frank dividends. Am I missing anything, he asks, Luke. Um, I must admit, Joe, I, I looked at a different NAOS. I'm not sure, Claude, did you, the one I looked at, it's it's listed equities instead of the, the private. Um, I, anyway, I'll... Oh, right. Okay. See, we'll take us through that one. Oh, I looked at this one, yeah. It is listed yeah. as well. That's what I looked at, listed ones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's, it's an LIC, um, and and you know Naos um, have been a manager for a while. Their commitment to, to dividends, like a lot of LICs, is good. So if you're a sort of dividend investor, I think it's something you could have a look at. Um, for for me, who's more active in the market, whenever I look at an LIC, I always try to dig under the surface as to what they actually own, um, and and they they're forced to break that out in annual reports. So I went back and looked at the annual reports. There's only 14 stocks. Well, they've since sold one. There's now 13. Um, I didn't get too enthused about the portfolio, to be honest. Um, the first thing I noticed was a lot of contractors in there, like BSA Group, Saunders, Service Stream. I've got question marks around contractors in this environment, uh, particularly if you've got fixed price contracts and you're coming into an environment where there's, um, you know, wage pressures and, and input price pressures. It's it's difficult. You need, you need to be a really good contracting business to, to do well in an environment like this. So I've sort of got a few question marks there. Um, and then a few stocks that I'd say they're beaten down and looking for a turnaround, like GenTrack, Urbanize, and Wingara. So I didn't get too enthused about the portfolio. That said, if you're looking just for a dividend, you know, it's maybe something you could take a look at, but otherwise it's, it's not for me. Okay, all right. Yeah, look, I have confused you there. You're right. Um, it is the ticket code NCC, the Emerging Opportunities Company. And I should also tell you, Claude, it is in the portfolio at the moment. Really, I, I, how does how do these um, listed investing companies get across the line? Um, look, so I think that the key thing to focus here. So what the questioner may have missed is, uh, don't look at the profit. You can look at the dividend um, if you want, but um, the real thing you want to look at is the the NTA, right? So you're buying essentially a company that owns shares in other companies, and for the privilege of doing that for the privilege of somebody else choosing which companies to own for you. Uh, for example, they own, you know, GenTrack, um, Saunders, uh, Luke mentioned a few as well. For that privilege, you are paying them a management fee, right? From now until forever, because the only way you can get out of that fund is if somebody else on the stock market wants to get in, right? So it's not like a normal ETF where you know, if the underlying securities are worth X, you can sell it for, you know, X minus 0.001 or something like that. It's like, at the moment, I think, uh, you know, the end, the post-tax NTA of NCC, NAOS Emerging Companies, is uh, $1.18, but the actual share price is $1.07. So there's like a 10% discount, more or less, that you are buying the underlying securities for. And that accounts mm. for 
the fact that there's a management fee that's going to be forever and a day. But what people tend to forget in good times is that these instruments have the worst possible feature of any kind of instrument you can trade, which is that when the proverbial hits the fan, when you're in trouble, when you suddenly need that money because there's a recession and you lost your job, everyone is in the same position and they're going to be selling and that there are no going to be buyers. So that discount that might now be today 10% that you're buying at a 10% discount, that yep. might turn into a 15% or a 20% discount. I don't understand why any... Like, I know some people love listed investment companies, but I never once, and I'm not interested. No way okay. am I buying that. Taking company. that as a big no, so that is not in the portfolio any longer. Surprised that it was, says Claude. Okay, finally, let's turn to A2 Milk. Now, we know the issues this company has had, particularly in China. Um, Graham wanting to know about this one. Obviously, it's about infant uh, formula. Uh, and Bell Potter, I notice, has a buy rating at $7.70. It's currently, what, just uh, around $5.50, Claude? Look, I'll keep it brief and add something that you don't hear too often on this. Like, I think with something like A2 Milk, people don't realise that a lot of their performance, underperformance or outperformance, is going to be to do with geopolitics. A lot, you know, China is essentially controlled government and economy, and if it's in their interest for A2 Milk to go well, then it, it will go well. And if it's not in the interest for A2 Milk to go well, then it's going to have a harder time. So for me, I would currently be avoiding A2 Milk just because I'm looking at the geopolitics. And if there's a time, there's a new government, there's a change of tact, and Australia and China are, are trying to get be more friends again and, and we love each other more, and <laughs> A2 Milk is then looking um, also still decently priced then, that yeah. would be when I was more interested to buy, not now. All right, I can tell you, you've thrown another one out of the portfolio because it was in there. Luke? It's a, it's a sell for me too. I mean, Claude's, yeah. Claude's right. And I think, I, you know, um, you look back at their Investor Day presentation um, and there's a lot of talk about the Chinese market and the disruption to supply to the market. And to me, it screams of a management team that aren't addressing the real issue. That They think this is a supply issue of getting product into China, you know, because Daigu channels are shut down or whatever. Um, it's, it's not to do with that. It, this is clearly a demand problem now. Um, and, and that's a much more difficult problem to address. And, and Claude's right. Whether it's, um, you know, hardline sort of tactics that the Chinese government pulls out, like regulations and, and um, import restrictions, things like that, or what I think has been much more common over the last few months is the is the softer sort of things they do through the, the state-controlled media, where they encourage their uh, population to, to buy Chinese, buy local, and, and you know not use the the, the foreign um, brands. And you know, A2 Milk gets thrown in there. So, I I wouldn't touch this until I see management come out and really try to address the problem, which is you know they have a demand problem in China, and that means either pulling away from China, maybe not completely, obviously still a market there, but not as big as it was. Um, but but from what I see in their investor presentation, they haven't admitted that yet. And they, they mm. think that the, the Chinese market is just a supply issue to be fixed. So um, for me, it's a sell. Okay, yeah, so out it goes of that portfolio. All right, let's summarize the second half of the show where we uh, picked up on bike exchange. Uh, Claude saying losing money, no growth. Uh, it's a sell, also a sell there from Luke, uh, imagine biosystems. Yeah, it's a very difficult one, particularly uh, where it's operating just as, as a small cap is concerned. Uh, very high risk, says uh, Luke. Uh, could be growth, says Claude, but uh, could also go to zero. Uh, so it's essentially a light and a hold there from Luke. Uh, indoor Sky, 
Skydive Australian Group, now known as XRG, both not particularly kind, uh, a disaster, says Claude and Luke saying a very difficult business, uh, particularly in COVID. It is a big avoid there on Indoor Skydive. And Naos Emerging Opportunities Company, not to be confused with the other one that was mentioned there, the Opportunities Fund, which is private. Uh, no, from Luke, uh, Claude saying, uh, essentially you're buying shares in a company that owns other companies, so why are you doing that? It's a no there and that goes out of the portfolio and a2 milk finally which was also in the portfolio it's going out claude saying it's all about the geopolitics luke pointing out there that it's not a supply issue it is all about demand which is not there so that's a sell there from luke hey guys you've done well you've cleaned up the portfolio nicely today <laughs> sorry <laughs> well, negative in that second half <laughs> luke thanks for joining us mary of the capital and claude from a rich life have a great weekend thanks you too. thank you for having me. all thanks. right uh, that is our show for today any stocks you'd like us to cover flick us an email at the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us at osbiz tv a reminder you can find those stocks we have in the course portfolio you can head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.